welcome to another episode of the Spatial Web AI podcast. I'm your host, Denise Holt, and today we have a wonderful guest uh, with us today, global AI expert, Dr. Jacques Ludic, a smart technology entrepreneur and founder of multiple AI companies, an AI, AI ecosystem builder, and award-winning AI leader with a PhD in artificial intelligence and three decades of experience in AI and its applications in multiple industries across the globe. Also, Jacques is the author of Democratizing Artificial Intelligence to Benefit Everyone. So Jacques, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm so excited about this conversation we're about to have. Absolutely, Denise. I'm very excited as well. Um, and was lovely talking to you before, and this is uh, going to be great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, why don't we start off with a little bit of your background? Um, yeah. uh, you know, I'd love for the audience to understand, you know, a uh, little bit about your experience and kind of your your thoughts and direction with AI at the moment. Yeah, I, I was I was kind of always interested in computers and mathematics and all of these kind of things, and I was fortunate to be introduced to machine learning. Right, I would say first, second year, third year, and then I just fall in love with it, and I've, I, I, I wanted to understand the brain also better. I, I'm really interested in um, and human intelligence and natural intelligence and those kind of things. And and then my my honors, masters, and PhD was absolutely focused on machine learning, neural networks actually. But we looked, we covered the whole spectrum, so it was like fuzzy logic, genetic algorithms. Um, looking at and programming in 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 Prolog and and Lisp and and all of the different types of languages at at that time it was in the nineties and um, and I yeah I finished my PhD in mid nineties and so forth and I also collaborated with uh, Professor Dan Stein at that time one of my kind of research partners so I was actually academic um, and we we wrote a book or edited co-edited wrote a book called Neural Networks and Psychopathology. It's also on my website, jocklin.com. Got it there at the back. That sounds heavy. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah, but I was not a, I was just interested. So I was more kind of the, the AI expert. And Dan Stein, he's like a world renowned guy in OCD and psychiatry. He's, he's probably one of South Africa's top uh, researchers. He's, he's really a world class guy. And he produced so many books and publications afterwards. But that particular one, we built neural network models of brain disorders like OCD and those kind of things. So I created, and my focus was on recurrent neural networks. So I created these kind of recurrent neural networks, make lesions in the networks and doing all sorts of stuff and uh, to try and simulate um, some experiments as well. So it was fascinating. Um, and I also started to apply, collaborate with the business school and chemical engineering, electronic engineering, because I was more kind of computer science. And, and, and it was so fascinating, just the application of this kind of technology. I just realized, and this, this, this was before deep learning. So I saw the wow. scalability. I remember even as my master's degree, I had one chapter focused on the parallelization of neural networks. And we used um, transputers at that time. And I remember speeding it up, trying to build the kind of the deep learning stuff, but you were limited with the compute. And, and the data and stuff, but I was paralyzing neural networks and stuff. So I got that kind of experience. So it was just fascinating. Um, and then I just realized, um, yeah, I can follow academic career and stuff, but there's so much to do out there. And I, I started my first AI company, Season Systems, 
um, with the, the, the co-founder is with a PhD in chemical engineering. And we, we did quite a bit of work everywhere, financial services sector, all of it, but we've decided we're gonna focus on minerals, metals, mining, the industrial space, just because in South Africa and Africa, you, you actually have quite a bit of mines and there's some manufacturing and so forth. But, and then we build it out. Africa, Australia, North America, everywhere, and and then move not only from continuous processes and minerals, metals mining to discrete and batch processes uh, in in manufacturing, and a lot of customers across the globe, and and we started to collaborate with OneNowhere and General Electric and all of these kind of things, and then towards I think two thousand and nine, we we we've got this OEM agreement that we concluded with General Electric because they were just seeing us everywhere, and we were kind of the AI layer on top of the industrial, the SCADA systems, the industrial application layer, we, we add an AI layer on top of the human machine computer interface. And what we did was things like um, predictive maintenance, but also real-time causal identification of process problems. Um, so we're building models of processes and pieces of equipment. And if you can improve the throughput, the yield, the quality with one, two, three percent, it translates to millions of dollars. So the business cases was there, and we built a proper a proper business there. And so it was an incredible experience going global, appointing distribution partners and implementation partners around the globe, and then spending time, quite a bit of time with GE, also the GE for GE business, because they are in energy and healthcare and all sorts of different spaces. And at that time, they were like Apple um, and Google. They were, they were the top in the 2010, uh, up to 2011, 12, um, they were really dominant. So it was an incredible time to spend time in San Ramon and obviously in universities. Uh, they, they've got their own university in New York and uh, G Intelligent Platforms was actually headquartered in Boston, south of Boston, Foxborough. So I spent quite a bit of time there. And then when we were acquired, I spent quite a bit of time in Chicago and Lyle. And so anyway, so it was... Very cool. It was kind of a global experience because I spent time in China and Australia and all the different places, but it was wonderful applying it and just learning all the time. And, and obviously the G environment, obviously the, the shareholder transaction deal uh, was two years, the tension bonus is three years, I was there for almost five years, and uh, that was an incredible experience. But but I'm not a, I'm a smart technology entrepreneur, so I couldn't... I wanted to do more things. I couldn't just be part of a corporate. And right. uh, so from there on, I started the next the next phase. And there's more to talk about those things as well, if you'd like to know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, I, I'm really fascinated with smart technologies too. And, you know, especially with the, the coming future of all of these technologies converging together. And, you know, it's funny that you talk about one of the one of the biggest challenges in the past was compute power, you know, and like yes. we have bandwidth issues and all kinds. And it's like, it's all converging into this exactly. uh, ecosystem that will let everything just explode, you know? So exactly. It's, 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 it's wonderful. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you're right. And for me, I'm thinking even AI Web3, the next generation of the internet and wrote an article on that. It's almost like we, we get are creating all these building blocks in the smart technology toolbox that will allow us to do these incredible stuff. Um, and then we'll also reverse this, and we will we'll definitely get into that, the spatial web, those kind of things, that kind of evolution, which is actually more kind of defining Web3 for me in a proper way. 
uh, because yeah. for, spatial, for spatial computation as well. So I'm excited about that, but obviously we get to that as well. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that too, because, um, you know, there's definitely a distinction between Web3 and Web3.0. And a lot of people ask, you know, like, what is the difference? Aren't they the same? But, you know, in my perspective, it's like Web3 is the technologies in that space. But Web 3.0 is like the evolution of our global network into that space where everything comes together, you know? I, I like that. Yeah, it, it's all um, terms that we use and labels that we place to describe things. But at least that's part of the sense-making process because right. there are technology, as you say, and there is an evolution. So it's, it's well, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> well, it, it helps me to like compartmentalize it all yeah. because... You know, there's so much awesome, there, there's so many awesome things going on in the Web3 space. And then Web3, it includes so many other technologies. You know, you have all the XR technologies and then the distributed ledger blockchain technologies. And, you know, um, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I think one of the biggest issues with all of those technologies is that they're not interoperable. It's not easy to make them interoperable. You know, they right. they need this evolution of our like global network, you know, to evolve, to include them all and, and make it to where they have a common language and they can, uh, you know, yeah. interact and, and actually become an ecosystem because they all contribute to what we envision as this future ecosystem. Exactly, exactly. Now that's that's what's so nice about this. And it's almost like connecting the dots, putting the all the, the Lego blocks together in a proper way. And that's what I love about uh, Versus as well. Um, the fact that they, even the book, I got the book as well. So just to, you, you have you got to have that vision and, and understand the big picture of what's happening here and what is the missing pieces. And if it's missing, let's let's fill that gap. And, yeah. and they're really on that path as well. So so for me, that's that's awesome. So, so great to see. <laughs> so while we're still on the subject of, of you, I would love to ask you because I've seen, um, you know, I, I've read uh, several things about you. I've seen some of your interviews and you talk yeah. about having a massively transformative purpose within this AI sphere. So I would love um, I would love for you to talk about that. You know, what is that all about? Yes, absolutely. So I do talk about it in the book and I wrote the book during COVID. It was before ChatGPT. Uh, <laughs> yes, I I um, I wrote I wrote the book during uh, COVID and I had time to reflect and think, but it's obviously uh, things that were coming for a long time because I'm thinking about what are we doing here? And it's about legacy and it's about um, thinking about civilization and for me it's always important to um, to 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 make a, a positive contribution can we cause positive ripples in the fabric of civilization even in our humble little way each one of us we, we can't move the needle as individuals too much but if you're participating if, if you can maybe influence things and if you collaborate with other people you can do big things uh, even Elon Musk with just a few very specific uh, visionary statements and questions that he was asking is able to make some positive impact and, and attract top talent and 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 I think that kind of so it's very important to get the narratives right to push civilization in the right direction and in my book I um, I've got a chapter that talks about what does it mean to be human in the 21st century 
And I had to go back to philosophy and man's search of meaning. And, and Lex Friedman has got these kind of questions uh, as well that he always asks in the past. Um, what is the meaning of life? And, and I tried to make a synthesis of, I think it was about 150 of these kind of episodes where I tried to figure out and think what are the most important ones. And it's captured, and I've, I've extracted that in chapter 10 as well. But, but then further on, Daniel Smachtenberger talks about, he's a systems thinker, and he talks about uh, the meta crisis and where, where the problem, problematic tra 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 trajectory that humanity is on. And, and he's talking about all the generative functions for this and, and all of these kind of things. And I think there's a lot of merit there. So I was trying to make sense and try to figure out all the different kinds of pieces. And then, then looked at even Max Techmark, wrote a book called uh, Life 3.0. And I, I thought it was very good because it was kind of laying out the various uh, possibilities um, where, where humanity is potentially going. I tried to use that as input as well. And then I went to really focusing on beneficial outcomes for humanity. And I just realized it's important that we have a purpose, a massive transformative purpose as a humanity. Um, yeah. And we are a hyper-connected civilization society. So it's very important that as a civilization intellect that that we, we've got a purpose and we understand where we're going. And this is, and you see it a little bit with some of the countries that's doing a little bit longer term thinking. So like in China, for instance, there are really good and bad, but there are really good aspects there. And I see this with some, in some other countries as well. Um, and, and I think that's quite important. And I, I think with capitalism, this quarterly growth, Wall Street type of thing, we almost, this and also political, um, if you think about uh, just the whole dynamics around political system, governance systems, and democratic systems, it's almost hurting ourselves we're, we're, because we're not, it's so much good there because we need to protect the freedom of the individual, but we have to think about the collective. Um, yeah. so, so I do think that those kind of things are important. So I was trying to, to really look at, in Africa, they talk about Ubuntu, um, where, which is really trying to think about us uh, as well. So it's really it's a focus on the collective. There's something in South America also around that. Um, and then the United Nations actually have really incredible, if you think about it, the vision that they've laid out for 2030 and the 17 sustainable development goals are pretty good. Yeah. The question is, we're struggling to implement that. And I also, and what I did was to say, okay, let's define a massive transformative purpose that's aligned with and I actually have slides where I can maybe quickly show that as well if if, if you want. Absolutely. Um, I think I've got it to where you can share. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, okay great. Okay, so um what I wanted to quickly show you can see I've got some of versus slides in here as well. I talk about the oh, new nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm using I, I'm I'm utilizing it. I'm actually promoting this because I, I do think apart from the technology itself, the, the broader vision I think is so so good. Anyway, so this is what we need. We need visionary leadership, collective sense-making, wisdom, and practical actions to ensure that humanity and our civilization is moving in the right direction as we work towards unlocking the tremendous potential of AI and other smart technologies. And, and in terms of the purpose here, so, and I can put, put this in full screen uh, if it helps, uh, maybe make it um, better. Um, so it's, it's, it's very simple in one level because it says evolve a dynamic Empathic. I think it's so important that that we've got empathy, understanding of cultures um, with one yes. another, because we are one. The problems that we face as humanity goes across borders. It will be very interesting to see in 500 years' time if we still have.
countries as defined now. It might be just smart cities, smart uh, towns, that's local communities connected like nodes in the internet. And it will be fantastic if it's like the spatial web and everything is properly contextualized. And yeah. I can just assist, I can just see that kind of world uh, happening. But a thriving self-optimizing yeah. civilization that benefits everyone in sustainable ways in harmony with nature. And, and I actually looked at the four uh, parts of this. So you need to look at things holistically at a systems level. And, and, and I've just tried to summarize it. I say decentralized adaptive systems to benefit all by driving beneficial outcomes for all life through decentralized. This is again where Web3 blockchain, yeah. all of these kind of technologies comes in. It have to be adaptive and agile. And that means, what, what is it? We're talking about the, we need to re-engineer the economic, social, and governance systems. And then what I think we should be doing, and this could also help solve the thing around jobs and those kind of things and meaning, we need to reward um, active participation and positive contributions to society and civilization. But 100%. also help... Yeah, so 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 that could be so anything that people do, give the incentives, give them tokens, give them all sorts of stuff so they can survive. Obviously, if we live in a Star Trek abundant kind of world where you've got this kind of situation, it would be unbelievable. Um, but we but but you've got to also have it's almost like uh, if you look at your body as well, if you've got a problem in your knee or somewhere, you, you want to make sure that you address that. So it's almost like if there's problems in the country or certain towns or cities. Let's help one another. So um, if there's COVID, if there's viruses, um, let's see what we can do as a collective to, to protect ourselves. So I think we need to keep peace and protect humanity from any potential harm in elastic ways that respect individual freedom and privacy. So, so that kind of summarizes for me just the whole thing around systems. But then, and I bring in the democratized smart tech to benefit all as well. So I'm thinking about not just smart tech, but knowledge science, I think we want to use that in human-centric ways. We don't need to create a world where it's dominated by technology and it dictates and, and all of it. I think we need to create, we need to think about humanity, human-centric ways that are based on wisdom, good values and ethics to dynamically solve problems, create opportunities in abundance and share the benefits with everyone. Now, you will see this ties in with that evolution of intelligence of of, of verses as well, but which I absolutely love because it provides a framework in terms of sympathetic and shared intelligence yeah. and creating these intelligent agents that help us. We work together, synthetic and human intelligent agents work together to solve problems. So that's why, and I've got a slide, I actually built slides that, that, show, that show that. And then for me, one of the most important things and I think I mentioned to you before, I, I, I don't think we should optimize necessarily just for GDP and stuff. We should optimize quality of life to benefit all. And maximizing quality of life, community building, virtues, character strength development, sense making, standard of living, well-being, and meaningful living for everyone. And if we measure that, and we're really making progress there, I think we're going to create a better world. Um, yeah. so, so, so the purpose, the goals are very important. And then finally, sustainable, livable planet and explore the universe. Um, obviously, that's super, super important. And it ties in with the sustainability development goals. And I actually have this, even our place in the universe, and I actually have specific goals. It also talks about exploring the universe, like Elon Musk with Mars and all of those kind of things. And I think we, we should do that. And that's why I talk about sustainable, livable planet and exploring the universe. Anyway, yeah. so that's the high level. I'm not going to go too much further details, but I've, there are some very specific goals 
for each of these four buckets. Um, and, and then these also map to yeah. the development goals as well, yeah. as, as you can see here. And uh, yeah, so anyway, so maybe last comment on this is just that um, and Kaifu Lee, uh, he's, he's, he did quite a bit of work, I think, with Apple, but he's based in China now. Um, he, he wrote a book also on, uh, and he actually had a TED talk where he talked about the future of AI. And I love this as well, because you can position jobs and all sorts of things on an on a, on a x-axis going from optimization to creativity and strategy. But if you are at other dimensions, and it could be a lot more dimensions, but if you say we add compassion, what kind of jobs, more kind of human-centric, then you can create quadrants where you create tasks and things that people do where Very it's cool. utilizing AI, but the warm embrace of humans. Yeah. So I think we need to navigate. We need visionary leadership to go in this direction. Anyway, I'll stop yeah. there. Yeah, that's brilliant. Okay, so <clears throat> what's really interesting is you brought up several points there, which um, I would love to unpack a little bit. With the last slide that you showed, what's really interesting in actually like manifesting that kind of an approach to it is I think that that's the kind of thing that's going to ease a lot of people's minds because right yes. now and especially with you're talking about like the the need for empathy and compassion and you know having this these be yes. the, the at the at the forefront of this evolution and you know I think people as they envision AI as like, you know, machines, right? You know, and they think that that's going to become what humans start thinking like. And it's like, no, and it's not going to supersede human thinking. It's coming in cooperation alongside collaboration with humans. So, you know, we will bring all of those necessary elements to the evolution of, you know, like this next era of technology. Like, I truly believe that. Um, yeah. And I think I, that I'm, with last... you I'm with you there. We, we, it's almost like these doomers and all sorts of people. I try to just make sense of it, and it's 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 almost like this pendulum, and people are afraid or they overreact. And this is typical of the narratives. And well, if you think about how the brain works, and Joshua Bach, I, I can talk about who's the people that's influencing a lot of my thinking, David Deutsch and Joshua Bach, and a few others as well. But if you brought and Carl Frisson, obviously, as well, in terms of the brain's this prediction engine, and we create, we and Joshua Bach talk, talks about this story that we create of ourselves that's living out in this universe. And we, and as humanity, as a civilization, we're creating all these abstract narratives and constructs as well. So, but we need to navigate this, we need to take ownership and yeah. let the tools be an enabler for us. But yeah, you know, it, it this is a total sidebar. But it's really funny because, you know, when you think of empathy and, you know, when I think of like where I, my sci-fi brain sees technology going, you know, and eventually, you know, we're looking and this is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable, but the human, uh, you know, computer brain interface kind of thing, you know, like Star Trek, all of that, it shows, you know, like we will, if we, if we merge with technology on a biological level, which that's what we're starting to see, right? I feel like like years ago, I remember talking with my one of my real close girlfriends and we were just we hadn't seen each other in a while. We were laughing, catching up and everything. And in my mind, I just had this vision of like, what if in the future, like 
you know, reality shows, people tune into that, right? But what if you could just tune into somebody's conversation, tune into, you know, and you think, well, we're, we would never allow that to happen. But I remember when Facebook came on and it was still stranger danger, don't put your picture on the internet. (laughs) People adapt and get used to things, you know, so you never know what society will get used to. But if you envision this, um, this future where we will gain a a deeper understanding of the thoughts of others. I think that's going to increase empathy tenfold, like a millionfold, because we'll understand that everybody is so the same on the inside. Our our thoughts are the same. We have the same level of, you know, um, of depravity (laughs) in our thoughts, you know, like, and judgment and, you know, insecurities and yeah. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be whoever. It's 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 and 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 if you travel a lot as well, and you meet all the different kinds of people from different cultures as well. And I was very fortunate um, to do that right through my career, academic and business careers and so forth. And and I was just recently in Seoul for the first time in South Korea as well, and it was fascinating. Just the kind-heartedness and the empathy of so many of the people there as well. And there's so many things that we have in common because. It's still we, we live in this constraints and we, we 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 live and we die and we know we know about all these things and we want to most make the most of this uh, as well and and I think some people this is where I'm I'm very passionate about kind of if we can create a personalized AI that's helping us with sense making better decision making um, oh, yeah. those kind of things and and not make us I think we've got to be careful of the dependence locking so we don't want that necessarily but just something that really boosts us help us make better sense and 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 steel man other approaches and help us maybe to understand the other person's perspective better as well right. I, I use chat gpt and bard and all these kind of things extensively for sense making to push to try and figure out i know there's hallucinations here and there but but trying to figure out the different feelings even even with things like um, active inference and Yan Kun and stuff. And, and I've come up with interesting perspective of where we can integrate and combine things as well, just because you look at what is the weaknesses, what is the strengths of different kinds of approaches and stuff. But, but you can apply it through everything in life, uh, relationships and, and, yeah. and even the, I'm just thinking the wars and the problems that we face here uh, in civilization it's it's so sad actually because it's, it's certain narratives, and if you really zoom out and in five hundred years time, you will probably look at say I know it's complicated Israel Palestine what's happening there and and also Russia and and Ukraine and so forth. But it it, it for me it's so unnecessary and and there's there's people's lives at stake here and it's it's driven by certain political agendas and all sorts of different things and and if we we if we've got leaders that's also making better sense and having a better understanding and not just about power grab and all of these kind of things i would love to see civilization if we can up the wisdom levels of as many people as possible and yeah. obviously we need to do this in the leadership uh well the people that's really leading in the very in the various stakeholders but if we can uplift that and that's why I'm even thinking um, for Africa as well. Um, you don't want Africa to be left behind because part of this global hyperconnected community um, civilization. But there as well, you want to say, how can we leapfrog? 
how can we and education is so important lifelong life-wide learning and if yeah. we can that's why we need to disrupt this factory model um they talk about the fourth educational revolution so anyway so there's so many things there so true i was i'm totally i'm nodding agreeing because yeah it's all so important and but but it's really interesting because that's one of the things with the versus technology that um that is kind of fascinating to me because you have the spatial web protocol which gives us this yeah. uh this programmable language right it, that that bakes can program context into every space and all the things in all the spaces, right? And then it also can um, it also can be this language where the AI then can can be programmed with human laws, with uh, human guidelines, with um, you know, so it's governable. Yes. And yes. the active inference AI is an explainable AI, right? It has the it has the ability of self introspection, right? It can it can report on how it comes to its uh, conclusions, its decisions, uh, you know, on its processing. So when you think about having a governable AI like that, and you you talk about um, HSML, letter literally is just uh, giving us digital twin spaces of everything, right? You know, Dan Mapes, you know, he refers to to uh, the spatial web as um, a uh, a nervous system for the planet, you know. So when you talk about digital twins on any scale, then you can do simulations, and when you can do simulations, then you can actually show people what the outcome is. You know, not you know, you're not just saying I think the outcome is going to be this <laughs> based on my understanding and my knowledge and my science. You're actually showing it evolve, you know, in a digital twin space. You really can't refute that, you know. So when you talk about even peace efforts and things that we can do to alter our our climate and you know reverse damage to our planet, to um, put ecosystems back into balance, um, all kinds of things, you know? And then when you talk about smart cities and what that can do mm. for inclusive, sustainable smart cities, and, you know, it's uh, just, it's really interesting to me. It, it is. You touch on also so many things there. I think the digital twin thing is so interesting as well, because initially, I even my first I company, C-Sense, we built kind of digital twins, but it's not like with spatial computing and stuff, but it's building models of, of processes, of piece of equipment. And if you latch them all together, you can almost create a, a digital twin effectively of whole factory or plant uh, as well. And then you can zoom out and you can say, if I'm creating a model of that, but also my whole supply, supply side, demand side as well. And this is, by the way, some of the things that we were talking with. Uh, one of our customers was General Electric, uh, uh, the Beers, which is part of the Anglo-American group. Um, and they were looking at, well, specifically on diamonds uh, as well. So we, we were looking at the mount side and building these kind of models. And it's all about instrumentation. So the reason we were able to, to build um, these kind of models of processes and plants, because obviously in industrial space, you've got temperature sensors, flows and pressures and all sorts of stuff in real time. You've got real-time data available um, and it's all being captured. Um, and then when you when you do the same with and the same with machines uh, equipment as well it's really heavily instrumented but now if you instrument the world with especially with the internet you've got a lot more data available about for even for demand side supply side all of those kind of things and if you think about ERP systems MES systems and all of these kind of things got data now suddenly you've got lots of data 
Now, adding spatial web and spatial computing, where yeah. you can say, I can, I've got more information. I've got actually three-dimensional information. With in time. real time. <laughs> in real time. That is adding a next layer to this. And it's almost like what's yeah. the missing piece here. So it's for me an absolute no-brainer. So, uh, and, and I can just see, and, and by the way, on, on active inference, um, I, I absolutely love the fact that um, that it's that there's something with this Bayesian type of approach uh, around expected free energy minimization. That really, think about you want to minimize uh, complexity. You want to obviously look at minimizing inaccuracy. That's what the free energy principle is trying to do. But on the policy, the action side is obviously trying to reduce risk and ambiguity and all of those kind of things. And I like this. The way they, I think it's just so great to see that you see this kind of mock of blanket internal external kind of systems kind of everywhere. So it, it resonates as well. And and as you say, the explanation the, the, to, to explain things, the fact that you're using this kind of probabilistic Bayesian type of approach and creating these kind of structures makes it possible to figure out why is what what, it, what the introspection kind of things because you can now create yeah. systems look at awareness what am i trying to look at what am i paying attention to and all of these kind of things um oh, so yeah there's so much we can learn from that you know just applying exactly. that to systems <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that because with the deep learning approach you've got a little bit of a black box I, obviously i come from kind of the deep learning transformers those kind of uh, areas i understand what we're doing there and and, and even with my phd we, we looked at the kind of Underlying, we try to understand my, my the PhD was focused on training dynamics and complexity of architecture specific recurrent neural networks. So I was trying to figure out how, and it's always using backpropagation, similar to what's happening anyway with this is main algorithm used in deep learning and transformer and so forth. But you can try to figure things out. But when you create so much complexity, it's it's really difficult because you don't know the emergent kind of properties that you get. How is it really getting to that? Um, right. Yeah. But anyway, so so I love the kind of active inference kind of approach where, where we're trying to figure out um, and make it more explicit uh, as well. But but, I, but but we can go into more details there because I've got questions about um, even questions for Carl Friston and and others as well around the creation of world models and to, to represent this. I, I think I'm getting some answers from Jan Lecun in that regard as well. Um, to, to have more kind of, how do we learn from observations, um, world models in a proper way? And because you can obviously use uh, hyperspace modeling language to define kind of the context for an agent in terms of the each world model. And mm -hmm. obviously have active inference doing the reasoning, interacting with this world model and looking at the observations and stuff. but. It is a bit of a bottom-up approach. I can see, for example, with this genius, that nice demo, it's really great to see it. You can see for those kind of intelligent agents that's fairly simplistic and stuff, but that you, but you can start, you can do this. But it, it almost also paints, it almost, it provides the environment where you can build more complex systems. And I think this yeah. is maybe where it's going because if you've got, it, I, think the, I think about the human brain as well. If you've got a bunch of these kind of systems that we're collaborating, working together. And that's that's exactly what's happening. Maybe you're sharing world models. If you're just focusing on the auditory part, 
or the visionary part, whatever it is, and you can start putting pieces together. But it can become quite complex. But but I I I think we're still early days. We early are days with this. So yeah. <laughs> No, it's so true. But you hit the nail on the head because that's that's literally what um, you know what they've envisioned and what they're building. Because the the spatial web protocol just basically it's going to evolve our internet, right? Same sure. forty billion computers that are connected right now, you know, and just evolve the capabilities to take us out of the World Wide Web into a much more secured uh, network space that includes spaces and things, you know. Um, sure. But it it's built on distributed ledger technology. It uh, enables zero knowledge proofs, um, and the transactions are taking place at every touch point. So yes. then you have this network that can be comprised of multitudes of intelligent agents that are all these independent intelligent agents learning about their environment from their own frame of reference and then communicating to each other with that same active inference, you know? So, and, yeah. you know, I, I mean, it, it's, it's based on a holonic structure with Markov blankets and stuff. So you have these nested intelligences too. Sure. And so it's really interesting when you think of that, because I feel like when they let when they let loose with their uh, platform, then people are going to be building all kinds of intelligent agents, and all of these agents are going to be aware of each other and the network, and it's just going to grow, just like collective intelligence grows, right? Like yeah. our our world knowledge grows, and it 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 depends on the diversity of all of the multitude of the intelligences among the human species right you know that's how we learn and grow and that's how our our knowledge bank grows right so yeah. it, that's why to me when i look at what they're doing i'm like okay this is the ai that can get us to asi like you know this they're they're creating an ecosystem a framework to grow knowledge you know knowledge that actually can grow in tandem with humans Absolutely. And right now, if you look at the toolbox, and I've, I think I've, I've, I've asked Jason as well, he's CTO at Versus, um, around the use of, say, LLMs, because currently it's got its purpose, because it's, it's really, um, it's kind of this um, human computer interface and natural language processing you can handle. So you, you will probably need to go, I'm, I'm, I'm not, there's no, it's not clear how you can create exactly that type of AI intelligence with active inference right now because you have to build that up and it's so many layers but I can see practical applications where active inference based intelligent agents are key a core to it and it can deal with real-time real-time information and adapt and reason and minimize surprise and doing all these things and then communicate with um, humans utilizing LLM type of infrastructure that plugs yeah. into the the, uh, the the hyperspace modeling language, or at least the, the interface of the intelligent agent for communication purposes. So, so that's a, a yeah. simple kind of application. So that's why it's I, I, it's really it's it's a bigger toolbox and Lego blocks that we put in place. But 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 obviously with active inference, the fact that you're adding spatial web um, is making such a difference because it's making things practical. Um, right now, which I love. So from an engineering perspective, you want to solve problems. And it's nice to have these kind of things that make sense 
from a biological perspective, but to have systems that actually work. And this is where we are getting with transformer LLMs. It is practical. The generative AI stack is there. So from my perspective, when I think about kind of a global AI leader, I would love to collaborate with Versus on and, and, and companies in that ecosystem because I like you, I believe this is absolutely key to build it bottom up um, and to create the digital twins and to adopt the kind of, I think it's gonna be very important, the adoption of um, the protocols. Um, and, and so that kind of ecosystem is gonna be so super, super important. And I would love to see how we can fast track that. So yeah. I think communication is going to be super important, even what you're doing, uh, just spreading. Thank you. To me, I'm just, you know, I, I'm just a tech geek girl that, you know, like I, I've, I, I know um, I'm really good friends with one of the founders. So I, I've known what they were doing and I've been watching it for the last, you know, six years or so. And so it's exciting to me to see it all coming to fruition. And <clears throat> what, what you were what you were talking about, it's interesting because the way that I understand it is that all of these other AIs, the 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 machine learning AIs, you know, those are those are tools that will fold right into this network. And they'll actually be able to adopt a lot of the attributes of like the active inference. Um as as kind of a meta AI over the network. And so they'll they'll be able to become more accurate because of the explainability in the meta AI yeah. of the network. Yeah. You know, they'll they'll be able to integrate in. So it's almost to me like that's what I was trying to say earlier is just I see this as kind of like this will be like the network that everything comes into. And all of a sudden, you know, it's all functioning well together. And you know, it's all of these tools are then going to be able to fall into a system that can be governed. Governed, and I don't know if you saw um, versus published a, a report. I want to say in July, and it was uh, I think it was called a path to global AI governance. Absolutely, and, there's a webinar yeah. as well. I think where they're talking. I think it's tonight or tomorrow. Um, I think it's tomorrow. Oh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, that yeah. might be today for you because you yeah, are day ahead. It's nighttime for me, and you're first thing in the morning. You did so well, nighttime. Wow. <laughs> it's uh, it's ten forty nine p.m. right now. Oh, I should fire. be having a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah. I'll have wine yeah. with your coffee. But, you know, what's really interesting to me with what they propose, because, you know, it's very common sense, because in their in their estimation, you, you're going to have all kinds of AI systems. These, you know, uh, they're all going to be at different stages of intelligence. They're all going to be at different capabilities. So how do you govern that? How do you specify what kind of governing uh, system would be allowable when you're, you know, there's so much of a, there's a diversity among the actual systems themselves and their capabilities. Um, and so it's really, it makes a lot of sense what they've proposed because they've literally kind of broke it out to, you know, different levels of intelligence, I think five different levels, and then, you know, different types of governance that can be, uh, you know, um, 
would apply to the different levels, you know, meaning that the ones that are, are trustworthy and they're capable of autonomy and, and whatnot, you know, they can, they can enter this more decentralized, distributed, uh, you know, autonomous governance, but for things like the the machine learning tools and things that are are still going to be hallucinating or having issues and they're not really trustworthy or different you know things within robotics all kinds of stuff yeah, like sure. human yeah. life is yeah. you know at stake <laughs> then you know there's different types of uh levels of how much human inter- you know interaction needs to be there for that and that that just makes a lot of sense to me yeah, 100% and I, I think it also has to do with this connecting the dots on a holistic level. Um, There's a whole evolution of autonomous intelligent agents because I haven't seen it really laid out like that before. And um, uh, going from systemic, sentient, sophisticated, sympathetic, shared, and not talk about super intelligent because we're obsessed around super intelligence, this monolithic type of thing. Um, And this- Yeah, and their point is there's a path to that (laughs) that we have to govern. Exactly. So, uh, so, uh, so this—it's almost like leading with the protocols, leading with a proper vision for the evolution of autonomous intelligent agents, and 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 I 100% agree with you. I think that's why the framework is so nice because you can actually say where does LLMs or transformers or uh, these type of generative AI models fit in with this kind of framework um, uh, as well. And but because I, I do think there's. There's going to be, even if you think about Jan LeCun's self-supervised, energy-based self-supervised learning, where um, he's also using kind of probabilistic, there's some very interesting things. What I really love about that is it is like a a, a model that you can learn um, from observations, you can learn future states in trying to build a world model um, as well. But even for that, you want trustworthy uh, AI guardrails. And, and I know there's been quite a bit of work done there. I'm going to have a look at that governance. I, I definitely need to look at that. But I've looked at um, trustworthy AI frameworks that consist of ethical, robust, lawful AI. And ethical AI is looking at autonomy, no harm, fairness, explicability. And I, I think um, United uh, Europe actually started with um, European Union with this seven um, foundational requirements for trustworthy AI human agency and oversight and technical robustness and safety and privacy and transparency yeah. and diversity and all of those kind of things. And I'm sure um, they will probably, versus with given their holistic, they, they will incorporate all of that into yeah. this kind of framework, governance framework. Well, um, and the beauty, the beauty of it, the, are you familiar with the um, Flying Forward 2020, the European Union program that they were involved in the drone project for the last three years? No, I would love to say I, I'm getting more involved in AI-driven drones. Um, and I was actually in Seoul, South Korea, talking to Dr. Drone, Dr. Kwan. And <laughs> nice. In that space. So, so, I, I, so I would love to, there's so much to learn. So yeah, no, 
Tell me yeah, more. Okay. So one of the really interesting things that came out of that project, because, um, you know, it was a three year long project and it was basically, you know, they were brought in as one of the companies. It was among, I think, eight different countries in Europe. And, you know, it was how do we get these drones to obey differences in airspace laws? You cross country mm -hmm. borders and things change and do it in real time. And they did all kinds of uh, proof of concept of, you you know, delivering medical supplies to a hospital, perimeter security, you know, just all kinds yeah. of stuff. And what they found in every case, what they proved is that you can, through HSML, the, the modeling language for the spatial web protocol, you can take human law and make it programmable to where the AI understands and can comply in real time, in real time. That so- so it, you know, it makes sense that they're the, and Denton's, um, you know, largest law firm in the world. They they um, collaborated with them on this governance report because they saw what they were doing with that drone project. They're like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, so when you think about what you can do with that, then you have AI that can be governed. So all these all these things like the European Union, you know, the the regulation standards that they're coming up with, you know, stuff in the United States, what they're coming up with for these guidelines and these different things yeah. through yeah. HSML, these can be programmed into the AI and it, they'll come, it'll comply. Like that's what's needed, you know? Um, Cause that's the missing link. <laughs> and, and do you know what, Denise, that, that excites me because um, that's why people, it was like, yes, I was yesterday in a podcast, humble minds and stuff. And you have people that was, pessimistic and optimistic and the whole spectrum but the reason why i'm also optimistic about this obviously as an entrepreneur you you have to be optimistic you got to look at the, the silver lining um, yeah. but it, it is because of this these kind of things because i can see a path and, and that's why where we can actually have a responsible trustworthy implementation of ai and we don't need to go to the doom and gloom. And it's so incredible yeah. to see some of the godfathers of, say, deep learning, how people think about these kind of things. And uh, the machine learning street talk, Tim Scoff and those guys. That's why I'm so aligned with Tim as well. And 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 um, and, and I feel like um, they're also trying to really get to the bottom, the truth, um, what makes sense, what not. So I'm... I'm if I listen to even Jan McCoon, no, I don't agree with everything. Uh, or even Cole Friston, I'm trying to figure out. And there was a wonderful discussion between Cole Friston and Stephen Wolfram as well. Yeah. Stephen Wolfram came out about this, and it was like an eye-opener for him around, oh, the brain, it could be a, this whole free energy principle and this kind of the fact that intelligent agents want to do, want to minimize the price, and it's like this predictive thing. And it was amazing for me to see that Stephen Wolfram is doing incredible work, but but that it, it was like uh, something that he didn't really thought about as well. And it was amazing to see that kind of interaction. So I just yeah. feel there's so many missing pieces. You can have Jeff Hinton there and even between people that were in the same area. And my PhD was also like Jan LeCun and, and, and the things in that kind of areas around those kind of things. So I've got an understanding of how it evolved. And and uh, but it's so interesting where people end up with because it's still narratives running and then then uh, there's doom and there's 
yeah. really worry. Well, and, and, and the solutions are there. Yeah, <laughs> so. and like you said, you know, we're in the very beginnings of this, you know, and it has to evolve and, and you can't expect it to be where we want it to be in the beginning. We have to guide it and make sure that it gets there. Um, okay. it, it's interesting um, with what you were just saying, because uh, it reminded me of something that Dan Mapes, you know, one of the founders of Versus said to me uh, a while back, but he said, you know, when when the active inference, you know, becomes like available and people are using it, he said in the beginning, it's not going to be super clear the big difference between it and the machine learning, you know, it's not going to sure. be that clear, but he described it this way, which I love this analogy. He said, think about the um, machine learning as a chimpanzee and like the active inference as like a two or three year old, the difference is that two or three year old is going to grow yeah. <laughs> in intelligence, That's you right. know? And yeah, because the, the, this is the bottom-up approach. It, it's it's uh, it, it's a whole ecosystem. That's why it's so smart. The the whole thing. And I was so impressed when I was first introduced to this. It was so interesting because then, um, at that time when he reached out to me, um, I was building the Machine Intelligence Institute of Africa and building a community in Africa and we're busy with my next generation AI companies and, and and there was a lot of focus on AI-driven wellness platforms and stuff like that as well. Um, and right now, I'm very keen on personalized AI based on the right building blocks as well. But Dan was uh, saying um, at that time, it was just reaching out and stuff. But I only actually after wrote the book and everything, um, I, I again, when he reached out and I came back to him, he said I should read the spatial web and all of these things. And when I when I saw this, and I just said, wow, these guys <laughs> are connecting the dots here. And and then I, I went and I had my own kind of research on in, on on Carl Friston. It was so interesting. So, oh, it was such a surprise for me to see that they're actually looking at Carl Friston. Somebody's actually looking seriously at at this. So um, anyway, so so, well, so, so yeah. yeah, and like from what I understand, you know, when Carl saw the the potential of the spatial web protocol, you know, he it was like okay that's the world model you know? <laughs> huh? but, but, but the thing is I, i'm still so i was yesterday contemplating as well thinking about how do we build scalable world models with active inference as well because right now you can and i'm sure in a genius demo they they they're just programming it into hm uh the hyperspace modeling language it sits there and then this active inference is plugged into this um, and and you've got the reasoning and everything with it. But but I can also sense that you can, uh, because I'm thinking about the human mind, we don't have necessarily kind of something that we just programmed like hyperspace modern language and just program it there. There's obviously a lot of engineering advantages because you can share it, you can do many things. It would be, I'm, I'm also interested in how we build world models. Well, and think it's about the network itself not just external structures that you need for that as well so so, yeah. so I'm, I'm at the point where i want to figure things out and looking at one what uh, Jan Lekun is doing in terms of because there's something interesting there he reckons that transformer llms will be replaced by these kind of self-supervised energy-based kind of learning because he sees the limitations it's clear as daylight the, the yeah. limitations and stuff so but anyway, yeah, it, it is. It's it's really fascinating. It's going to be interesting to watch how it all unfolds. But what's really so what really makes sense to me um, 
you know, when you think of like the free energy principle being how, you know, neurons learn. And, and, and if you think about human learning, it, take an infant, right? You know, an infant is born and all it knows at first is its mother, you know, like it, it that's yeah. all, that's its world. That's its world model. Yeah. <laughs> and then it starts to like, open its eyes and it it starts to take in things through its senses, right? You know, it's it's taking in all the sensory information. Then it starts to learn about the environment. Oh, if I drop this, it falls on me, you know, things yeah. like that. And it just continues to evolve with what it knows about its environment. And as humans, as we get older, you know, then we get specialized intelligence and all different kinds of things. You know, we learn about other humans. We we learn from uh, all kinds of interactions and stuff, you know, but so to me that that's what really kind of makes sense as far as we are in this constant, uh, this constant feedback loop with, with taking in this sensory information and measuring it against what we know to be true, what we've already established as our world model, and we're just constantly updating it. Um, and to think that AI is going to be able to do that through the sensory information of IoT and cameras and all that kind of stuff and measure it against what it knows to be true, the context that it understands about the environment, you know, through, you know, through the programmed context. I mean, it's going to be really interesting. I, I fully agree. That's why for me, the, the, the fundamental approaches, I'm looking at various approaches to, to go to, not necessarily artificial general intelligence, but if you think about more intelligent kind of systems, and, and we have to look at what the human mind is doing because it's giving so many clues in terms of what yeah. the kind of intelligence that we create and to learn from observations or from sensor data and build it up. Um, and this is why I like Jan LeCun as well because he's, he's really trying to figure out from that because the current systems is not doing that properly. And what I like about active inference is a bottom-up approach that's really looking at the fundamental building blocks to actually do that in a proper way. So... And it's going to be very interesting. Uh, Joshua Bach came up with this kind of uh, artificial general intelligence, vectors of intelligence where, that goes task-specific, broad and flexible, general. But it's got these nine dimensions. And it would be very interesting to look at active inference intelligent agents, how well it is doing in terms of, say, reasoning. And I think it's got all the infrastructure now to do really nice reasoning and introspection and stuff. The learning side. But then the representation is going to be interesting for me as well. Because this is what Jan Lekun is doing, is that this um, uh, joint embeddings where you, you're building, basically what you're doing, instead of predicting the exact thing, you, you're actually predicting the representation. So from an input-output mapping, so it's joint embeddings that you do as a hierarchical, but you are predicting it. So I think there's something about representation of world world. Yeah, and, and which, is, which I don't see yet. And I want to, obviously I'm learning trying to figure out exactly how we, we can use, uh, combine the best approaches, integrate things as well. But then yeah. knowledge, language, uh, collaboration, autonomy, embodiment, perception, this, these are the nine kind of vectors. I've got a nice slide showing that, but, but it's, uh, um, it, it's gonna be very interesting to see the evolution of, of uh, as I've mentioned, active inference-based intelligent agents. Um, so very excited about that. Um, Anyway, so I'm going <laughs> to, I, I, I just, I, there's so many things that if you look at the checkbox, that I just check, 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 check around this whole kind of approach, because like Bert the, the Fries and many others, it's almost like they, 
and like you as well, you also had that question is why don't people really pick up on this? Uh, really, they don't see yeah. it. But this is the science and, and discovery. It's if if and, and it's these kind of boxes that people put themselves in and. And and it's like that even with if you think about string theory and physicists, just I put my whole career in there. I'm gonna just defend my narrative, my point of view, and all my work that I've done. And I'm just saying that no, let's let's look at it's like the Elon Musk kind of approach, first principle thinking here. Let's yeah. say what which which kind of approaches has got real merit here, which is closer to reality, to truth. And uh, that's why I'm excited about uh, about this as well. And even yeah, people like well, we we used to like he doesn't care about different kinds of approaches. He's he's a cognitive scientist. I think he works for Intel there in California. And and his uh, do you know Joshua? No, well? no, no. No, you you just see some of his interviews and so he, he's he's such a. I don't agree with everything, <clears throat> but but there is a a, a fascinating. Uh, um, perspective on on things, the way he's kind of bringing things together as well. So it's uh, interesting that you it's interesting that you say that that way, though, because to me, what that brought to mind is we are like we're living in a world of example right now for what the AI is going to be doing with each other as yeah. they're learning, right? Because um, as humans, that's how our knowledge grows. We have all these wonderful people, wonderful scientists, technologists in the world that are working on the same goal, but they all have their approaches to it. But that all folds together in what becomes the, I mean, that's science, right? I mean, that's that's how science works. Exactly. And do you know what, what I love? There's something else, and I've got a, sl a slide now, but I won't show it now just to keep it. But the, uh, I don't know if you know David Deutsch. He's one another guy that that's he wrote wrote a book called The Fabric of Reality, and the last book was The Beginning of Infinity, where he's talking about explanations. So basically, um, he's talking about kind of a worldview. If you think about um, epistemological empiricism in support of conjecture and criticism to lead to better explanation of reality. But anyway, he's got these theory of Kind of of everything where we say um, the quantum physics and, and the multiverse is one part. Then the theory of knowledge, Popper, Paul Popper's stuff around that. The theory of evolution. Then the theory of computation, and that also ties in with uh, Stephen Wolf, Wolfram's and Joshua Buff talking about computational functionalism, uh, the theory of computation. And now they're busy with the, the theory of universe constructors. Um, but it provides a nice holistic framework, and. And, and I, I love that kind of view. And Joshua Bach's got also this interesting view of a unified model of cognition. So what I'm trying to do is just trying to put the piece together because it's, I find it surprising that you've got brilliant people not aware, not because they're not zooming out. They yeah. are focused on the area, but they're not connecting the dots. And I see, obviously, with Versus, they've, on a certain level, they've connected the dots and creating the framework. And it just shows the importance of zooming out and putting the pieces, the Lego blocks together on, on a certain level. Anyway, so. Yeah, it's, that's, that's so true. That's such a great point, you know, and it's funny too, because I also, we, we touched on this in our conversation right before we started, but, you know, one of the things that I, I think is happening, you know, especially in the AI space is, you know, sunk cost bias. People get kind of 
feel like they're so invested in one direction that they don't even want to hear about another direction, you know, even if it could complement or help the, or raise it all to a next level, they just, they're so focused and, you know, and, and honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why a company like Versus was able to come in and do what they're doing, because when you have larger corporations, it's a lot harder for them to get buy-in by the executive team to exactly. change directions or do something that's un unproven or or totally brand new, you know, way yeah. of thinking. So it's kind of interesting. It is. It is. No, it's fascinating. Oh man, I, it, there's there's so many things to 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 cover here as well. Um, but but uh, yeah, yeah. Now I I uh, I can't wait for this for the journey here because it's um, it's it's. It's almost like you help to create meaning because you feel, and I'm curious as well. So I want to, it's almost like, it was so interesting when I listened to um, Stephen Wilfram and Carl Friston, he was almost saying what we are doing here is almost like opposite um, what doing a mustaches and being in comfort zones and what active influence is trying to do. But then Carl Friston was just saying that, no, actually to try and understand the uncertainty and stuff is also um, minimizing surprise. To a, to yeah. a large extent. So, so the curiosity of humans, and especially if you're a scientist or engineer or someone that's just curious about the world, the, 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 you maybe you still operate on guardrails and you want to be in comfort zones, but you want to want to explore. So, so that kind of notion of curiosity fits in still as well. Yeah. So. yeah. And you know, a big part of um, the free energy principle, it's about you know, rationalizing the cause of what you're taking in, you know, like what is causing this, you know, whatever I'm sensing, whatever I'm seeing through my senses, what is the cause for that? So then you know how to interpret it and how to internalize it. Um, and that's what protects you. That's what starts to like give you those guardrails and, and give you a better sense of direction and what you should do, how you should, you know, I, I yeah. don't know. It's, it's no, uh, I, I, I'm with you. So now, I think we've talked about the building blocks. I just wanted to say, so the thing that I'm passionate about is how do we make a difference in people's lives uh, with this? And this is where, and I'm concerned where technology is being controlled by tech giants um, and various players. And if we can get to a decentralized world where we've got personalized AI, and I've got this one slide where I say the age of personalized AI has arrived. <laughs> but anyway, so... <laughs> It has. <laughs> trustworthy. I'll share some of my, my presentations with you as well so you can get a better idea. I would love that. Yeah, yeah. Explainable. Okay, this is what active influence anyway is doing, but that's what you want. Private. Private is very important. If Just Sweet. imagine if everyone have their own personalized AI that's protecting. It's almost like a gatekeeper for their data vault. And... And it's almost like if data is being monetized or services or whatever, then it could assist in that. So while you sleep, you can maybe have an AI agent that's actually doing things on your behalf and helping you to monetize things with a configuration that's been specified for yeah. you. And I know with hyperspace modeling language and active inference, I can see a path that we can create this kind of stuff. But then make sure it's human-centric, it's user-controlled. And it can train on your own data. And I think this is exactly the kind of, that's why I'm excited about uh, active inference and what Versus is doing, because it's creating kind of a proper building, uh, a building block for that uh, as well. Yeah. So it's a nice basis for that. And 
I, and then if we can just imagine, and this is what I talk about in my book as well, chapter 12, and I've got sapiens.network where I also talk about this a little bit. Uh, it's, it's not just your personal AI-powered assistant, but you can actually create a network of AI assistants that can interact with one another, like intelligent agents. And, um, and maybe your assistant consists of multiple AI agents, but it's coherent and it's doing things for you. But this thing can then talk to other, maybe family members or within a community, etc. And you can have each on, on this whole levels of, say, individuals, community, <clears throat> or family, community, small towns, smart cities, companies, organizations, <clears throat> all sorts of different things, um, up to governments as well. But I do think it's going to be more decentralized the world. I'm not sure if we, there's going to be regions and all of that. You want to protect cultures and those kind of things as well. But if you've got agents that interact with one another and trying to optimize on an individual level, community level, um, so those are the stated goals within trustworthy AI guardrails. And it's trying to uplift as well. And if there's areas that's not, of, of say, an agent is suffering or people are, or the community is suffering, there could be other communities that's other AI agents that's trying to see how we can help, assist. It's almost like the human body trying yeah. to heal almost, so to speak. So, so I can see a world where you can then incentivize people for the positive contributions to civilization, all of those kind of things. It speaks to this MTP for humanity, the goals, the United Nations SDGs. And so, so, so that's why it's great. So for me, it's kind of clear. I've gotten the way I've connected the dots is, is, is just, I've, I've seen these wonderful building blocks and frameworks being put in place. Now it's about the applications and how we can really make a difference. And, yeah. and as I've mentioned there, can we can we help shape a better future and democratize AI to benefit everyone uh, as yeah. well? So I would love to see that kind of future. And, and that's where I put a lot of my focus uh, on right I, now. I love that because that's that's the kind of future that I see too. You know, it's interesting because you know, everybody is talking about how all of this um this next era of technology is just gonna usher us into this kind of realm of abundance, you know, and I see that. And when you talk about decentralization and you talk about all of the technologies that fold into that, um, yeah. we're going to be, you know, the, the spatial web, the HSTP is a transaction protocol. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking about rewarding uh, society, rewarding human beings, individuals for good behavior, for social contribution, for everything, you know, for years now, we've had these conversations, even with government officials on um, like universal basic income, different things like that. I don't think it's going to be government that's going to be doing that. I think the system of what we're moving into with this technology is going to be so such a system of abundance and it will be a rewarding system. It's going to be gamified. I mean, that's kind of the whole we're, we're living in a game anyway, you know, yeah, <laughs> like I it's just what, structured differently. <laughs> exactly. Elon Musk talks about also this kind of sunset clauses on laws and be, be more kind of dynamic around this. And when you talk about Denton and the kind of, I, I can just see this all implemented in smart contracts facilitated by this. And and then if it doesn't work, we adapt quick, quickly. Yeah. We, we, we change the configuration. Um, and so I, I, I do see... We, it's people standing in the way of all of these kind of things. We've got, the, I feel the tools are there. So we just need to move in the right direction uh, around yeah. this. 
yeah. but anyway, so it's very exciting. <laughs> well, well, Jacques, I know we've been we've been talking for a good hour plus here. I don't want to take uh, uh, too much of your time, but I have enjoyed this conversation so much. And again, thank you, thank you so much for coming on <laughs> coming on my show. This has been such a treat for me. Um, how can people reach out to you? How can they find out more about you? Yeah, um, I've got a website, jockletter.com. It's, it's, um, I, I do, there's a little bit of a blog there, but I, it's like social media. I, I'm publishing stuff. So on LinkedIn, on, I'm obviously on X as well. Um, and uh, a bit of stuff on Facebook and stuff, but more kind of LinkedIn, X and the website. And um, so they're welcome to reach out to me, connect um, uh, by any of those kind of methods. So, yeah. Okay, so, great. Happy, happy, and yeah. Yeah, and I, I would love to uh, continue this conversation in the future Absolutely. and just kind of, you know, monitor things as it fall, uh, you know, follow it as it as it goes along. Um, so thank yeah, you. Again. Absolutely. Me too. Me too. And I, I can just see so, so many other deeper levels to unpack as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> personalized AI, but I can also, we can also go deeper on tech stuff, because given that you're a tech girl. So, so <laughs> a geek, a total a geek. <laughs> and I'm learning all the time about active interest. I'm looking forward to the whole journey, um, also with Versus as well. So, um, yeah, anyway, so it's very, very exciting. So, uh, well, I, I can't wait, I can't wait for our next conversation. <laughs> thank, you, thank, you. thank you very much, and have a good night. And, all right. uh, and fantastic thank you so much, and thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Fantastic. Bye-bye.